was made there, but then you all got tickled, and uh, I didn't know how that was going to turn out. If you get your Bibles, please, and let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, I love that, choir. You did a good job. Just a little step there, but you didn't. I like the response to that. You know, it's a wonderful thing. You get to enjoy it also, and we're blessed with a lot of people who... Are able to be very helpful, useful, and uh, and contribute in a good way to the music here. And I'm thankful for you. I am. We ought to enjoy it when you get up here, sing unto the Lord, and uh, minister to the Lord, and sing unto the Lord. Enjoy it. We'll be glad of it. It's good stuff. I promise you. Some of us sitting out there wish we could come up and join you and hit the notes that we're supposed to. Well, I guess I do hit the notes. I should sing them. It sounds more like I'm hitting them. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read this in just a moment. I'm going to speak to you this evening on the subject of a proper approach to missions. A proper approach to missions. And I dare to make a statement as bold as saying the proper approach to it because what we're going to look at is scripturally example of what was done. By missions, we mean that thing which we do which is not only getting the gospel out, propagating the gospel, but also helping to establish other churches, supporting those who are involved in those works. I said to the class this morning, and you'll probably hear me say it again during the conference, in fact, I refined it just a little bit. I'd asked this morning in my class, what do you think of when you think of missions? One of our good ladies said, I think of far away or long distance away. Statement I want to make to you is that we often think of missions as people who are far from us who need God. It would be better to think of missions as people who are far from God who need us. I'm not being presumptuous with that. Let me explain what I mean by that last part of that statement. They need us to do what we can do, which is to take the gospel to them and to be part of what it takes to get the gospel to them. So missions is not just people far from us who need God, but there are people far from God who need us. And maybe that neighbor needs you. They may be close to you, but they're far from God. And they need you to lovingly do what you can do as a believer and tell them about the Savior on whom you believe. And so we think of missions this way. I think it puts us in the correct biblical context of thinking of missions. And... Um, we want to think about this. Missions involves a lot of things because it involves the starting of churches, the establishing of works. You can take a person or people into an area that does not have a Bible in their own language, that has no Bible preaching churches, obviously, and you can go with the gospel message, and the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. And there are people who will receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. It may take time to explain it. It may take time to work with them. God has not left Himself without a witness in this world. I do not know of an instance, I don't claim full knowledge of all things with this, of any people group that uh, has been reached into that did not already have something in their culture, in their background, in their own history that was a catch point that showed them something that uh, would make them open to the gospel. Um, in one particular people group, there was something called the peace child. 
And that's what they called it. However, that was said in their language. And this child was the one that came to bring peace. Well, what they had was they already had a witness or something preparing them for understanding when Jesus, Christ is explained that He was indeed the peace child who came and lived and became a man and died in their place. And so you run into these common things throughout the cultures because God has not left Himself without witness in this world. But when, we, uh, when someone goes in, they could go into an area maybe where people's hearts are tender. Maybe they've been seeking after God. You know, the people that Paul talked to in a very civilized place of its time in Athens, Greece, you know, he spoke to them about an inscription he saw on an altar they had, and they had an inscription written to the unknown God. They, they put that out there. And he said, the unknown God, he says, it's him I speak of to you. And he talked to them about God the Creator who had made all things and who became the Redeemer and, and talked to them about it. Some, some scoffed. They mocked, made fun of what he said. Some said, we will hear you again of this matter. And some clave unto them. In other words, some believed. But if you went into a society, a culture, a place, and you told them the gospel, maybe you took people, maybe it was several people or whatever, and you had 10, 15, sometimes even hundreds of people who turned to Christ, their hearts tender. But then you leave them and you have no place for them to be taught. You have no word for them to be taught with. You have no one to lead them in spiritual things. Yes, thank God they're saved by the grace of God, but they will flounder. They will, they will not go forward. They will not be developed. And they will not become a group of people who then can go reach other people. You realize, to my knowledge, when I was in Haiti, when I was there preaching, to my knowledge, I don't know that we had anybody came down, got saved. I can't remember that. I know I never got to lead someone to Christ myself. I passed out a good number of gospel tracts. But I could not engage people in conversation because of the language barrier. I couldn't, I couldn't talk to them. But do you understand that the men that responded and the ladies responded, but we had a specific invitation, the men that responded to the invitation the night that the Word was preached to them because they had a church, because they had a pastor to lead them, because they had something they could a structure to deal with, that in the next two to three months, I forget the time period, according to Brother Biz's testimony to me, those men led about 3,000 people to Christ. They said they went out and stopped soccer games and talked to everybody there. And they did it. And they had the base, they had this operation. And tonight you have men that walked out that night pastoring churches there in Haiti. Why? Because they had a structure. Suppose they were there and they had nothing to work with. Then you would not have had the same opportunities, the same results. And so missions is not only getting the gospel, which is the primary thing, the first thing, but then also establishing churches, biblically patterned churches that are independent, autonomous operating. I say autonomous from hierarchical constraint, not autonomous from God but our independent congregations following the Word of God, seeking to do the will of God. That's what missions is. That's what we're a part of. If you went to churches that are Bible-believing churches around the world, you'd have some different culture. The Filipino fellows are always, always have a good time because you know eight months out of the year, almost nine months out of the year really, if they come here and visit, they're freezing to death. 
He said, well, about probably more than nine months because just right middle of our hottest time is the only time they're really comfortable. You know, it's 75 degrees and they are freezing. But then they laugh at us because the way that they dress, the way they do things is different than, than the way we do things. You would go there, but I'm promising you something. I have just enough knowledge of such things to know, and some of you do also, that you, if you went to one of these uh, churches, and maybe they're meeting in a building, maybe they're meeting in a, uh, uh, in, in a uh, lesser type of structure, maybe they're meeting outside. I knew of a church in the Vietnam that when they first started, God started blessing it, they were running a thousand people and had no building around them at all. For certain times of the year, that was very tough. You could drown while you were having church. But if you went to these places and you came in, you would know that you were home. You would know it. Even if there wasn't an American missionary up there preaching, but if these people were Bible believers, there's a common thing about it. There's, there's a spirit about it. You would, you would recognize the singing. Even if you didn't recognize all the songs, you would recognize the way the services were. There is something that produces... It's not a cultural phenomena. It's a biblical phenomena. And that's missions, these things. And I've sought to explain some here with it. But I want to read this with you, and then I want to talk to you about the proper approach to missions. What are we supposed to do as a church? Verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, 2 Corinthians 8, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, we bring to your mind here, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, multiple independent churches within that region. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. See those things which would almost seem apparent contradictions. For to their power I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and in knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by, the, by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but to also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, not according to that he hath not. What is the saying of a proper approach to missions? Let me give you just out of uh, these four verses here. Look in verse 9. Let me say that if we're going to have a proper approach to missions at Lighthouse Baptist Church, then we have to have a proper looking. We have to have a proper looking. Jesus is our example. It's because of Him 
that we have something to give. Look in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, how, how do we know it? That though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. That ye through His poverty might be rich. He's our great example. He's the one who showed us what we're supposed to do and how we are supposed to be a giving people. How we are supposed to take what God has given to us and share it with the world that is in desperate need of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me show you this in another place. Don't lose your place in Corinthians, but look in Romans chapter 1. There needs to be a proper looking. Where you look determines where you're going to go. Where you look determines your strength, your stability, your perseverance. You say, I preach you, how do you get that? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. By the way, that, that verse is dealing with us enduring. That verse has to do with us not fainting. It has to do with us running our race properly. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Why? Because uh, we, we have to look in the right place. Look in Romans chapter 1, and uh, I tell you that Jesus is an example who put Himself at a point of poverty that so we might be rich shows us that we have a need to give of ourselves so other people can have the Gospel. I like the testimonies tonight. I like that our young people appreciate having a church to be in. Don't take it for granted. You all showed me something tonight. I think all our testimonies were young people, or almost all. We'll say all young people, and a couple of you who raised your Yeah, Miss Phil's like that idea. Get right in on that, huh? I already decided, as young as all you folks were talking tonight, I'm just going to have to keep myself healthy and energetic and everything else because I'm going to need to be, when you're in your 20s and I'm in my early 80s, I'm going to need to be around and try to help you keep going forward. Amen? And if I'm senile by then, just have fun, but not at my expense. Okay, do what you can do with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Look what the language is here. I am debtor. You ever owe somebody something? I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I'll read more here in a moment, but I want you to understand that um, Jesus gave us an example that through His poverty we became rich, and we are debtors. The Gospel came to us, but it was not supposed to stop with us. We have something that is needed. We have something that can change people's lives and their eternal destiny. And it's called the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There's all sorts of silly talk I hear. Sometimes people trying to, I don't know if they're trying to relate to people or what, and they'll say, ah, I want them to know we're just like they are. Average lost person is not impressed with you and thinking that you're better than they are. They find it quite nauseating if you act like you are. But may I say to you the basic folly of that type of thinking and a whole lot of other phrases that fit into that same bucket? <laughs> Can I tell you the basic folly of it? We're not supposed to be going out to make them think about us one way or another. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me. This is borne out by other Scriptures. 
who are determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How about this passage? For we preach not ourselves, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And ourselves, where do we come in? Your servants for Christ's sake. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to others who have not heard. I'm glad somebody came to me with the gospel. And we should do that also. It's not only a debtor, but that leads us, since we are a debtor, to have a way of looking here. Look in verse 15. Because of being a debtor, verse 15 says, so as much as in me is. And that could be a limiting factor if we're not putting anything inside ourselves. Let me, let me teach you something by way of illustration. Very simple. At the home where my mom was raised and where 10 of the 11 children were born at that home up at Canyon, Kentucky. The only one that wasn't born at that home was my Uncle Ed and he's the one who ended up owning it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But when I'd be down there, especially sometimes I'd be down there just with the adults, I'd go down with my aunt and uncle and I'd help them and we'd do things and such. They had running water back up in that holler. So they did, yeah. Every morning I would run across the branch, if you know what that is, Wolf Creek coming down out of the holler. I would run across the branch, drop the bucket in the well, I've told you all about that, so I won't talk to you about not busting the bottom and not getting lizards in it. Get the bucket in the well, bring up the water, get the water, and bring it back in so they could start cooking and things could go on so they had running water. Amen? That's why they named me Phil, so I could fill up the bucket. Amen? But, now you know the rest of the story. But if I come back in and my Uncle Ed there, my Aunt Dexter there, my Aunt Opal there, and they would usually be the ones there when it was just those of us down there. Sometimes a big bunch of the family would be there and I'd be making several trips to the well. If I come back over to that, to that uh, house with just a bucket, I'd have had their attention right away. Now, I took, as a young man, I, I took that job seriously. I thought it was great. I was the one who got to do that. Probably nobody else really wanted to do that. I thought it was me. I got to do it. They could depend on me to do it. That was important to me. I'd get up first thing in the morning and make sure there was water there. That was my job. And I wanted to do that. But listen, if I just come back with an empty bucket, couldn't do anybody a lot of good. Can't do much cooking with an empty bucket. Can't do the washing with the empty bucket. Can't, all that. Look at what the verse says there. So as much as in me is, I am ready. Sometimes people aren't witnesses because they're not putting anything inside. You need to be putting something inside so something can flow out. You need to be spending some time with the Lord so the Lord can be flowing through you. So as much as in me is, I am ready, look at it, to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed, not ashamed, of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So a proper approach to missions involves a proper looking. We're looking at Christ as our example. And when we look at Christ as our example, we see that we have a debt and we see that we have an ability because of the Gospel. Then there needs to be a proper accounting. I'm back in our text in 2 Corinthians 8. There's a proper accounting. Look in verse 10. And here and I give my advice. This is expedient for you who have begun before. Not only to do, but also to be in what position? Forward. Does it say how far? 
doesn't, does it? We sure, certainly should have a desire to be well forward, but it just says forward. To be forward a year ago. What's that mean? If we honestly, factually take a look at our current living for the Lord, particularly in relationship to missions, and this was, they were, they were helping and supporting other churches is what this text ends up talking about. They were actually helping them. There was famine going on. Uh, they were helping other people. And these poor churches in an economically depressed area were doing much to help other people. Isn't that something? Brother Mark Siegbert, you know, Brother Mark, when he was uh, starting churches in Mexico, one of the first things he taught the churches was giving, both their tithe and missions. And it was not very long till those new churches with brand new converts, newly baptized, were giving and, and helping support missionaries to other churches. Many, many missionaries have gone to the Philippines and it's been very receptive to the gospel. The Philippines sends out missionaries all over the world. The Philippines sends missionaries into America now. That should affect us. Just like we send people into England and talk about how England used to stand for the gospel and now, you know, more church buildings that were being used for the gospel two generations ago in England at a ridiculous rate are being converted to mosque by the Muslims to nightclubs and to restaurants. May God help us not to ever let that happen because we neglect the gospel. And so what happens here, there's a proper accounting. If we look at where we are factually, not how we feel about it. There's a place for feelings. God made you with them and they're a useful tool. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an honest accounting. And there are ways to do that. You know whether or not your Bible set's closed without you looking at it even. You know whether or not you talk to your Heavenly Father. You know whether or not you've given a gospel tract to anybody or witnessed to anybody and how long. You know yourself whether or not the tithe is, comes from you to the Lord or whether or not you give to missions. You know whether or not that you're faithful as you could be and as you once were to the house of God. You know. And now I'm talking about as a county. A county. We will give a county. And this thing, if we're going to be the proper approach to missions, it takes a proper looking at the Lord as our example. It takes a proper accounting according to facts. Where are we? What are we doing here? And what more could we do for the Lord? Then look in verse 11. It says, Now therefore, perform the doing of it. I love that sentence. <laughs> I love the truth of it, but I love the sentence too. I love the way things are phrased in the Bible. Now therefore, perform the doing of it. That as there was a will, readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. There's a proper looking. There's a proper accounting. And there's a proper responding. Actually do something with what we have. What we have. What we have. Not what we might get. Not what we would do if we did have. Not how we would like to be able to finance uh, some missions and do these different things if we had a large income. What do we do with what we have? Don't spend your time daydreaming about what you would do for the Lord if you were, were a millionaire. Spend your time yielding to the Lord and putting into practice what you will do for the Lord if you're a hundred heir. 
or a tin air. Or you ain't got nothing but air. Let's use what we have. That's what God blesses. That's always what God blesses. It's a proper looking, a proper accounting, a proper responding. Being truly yielded leads to action. If we're truly yielded to God, it leads to action. It, 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 it does something for our life. There's something involved in it. <laughs> Brother Jerry. <laughs> uh, I miss him. He's not missing us a bit. You know that? He found out there's something better than Tim Hortons. <laughs> but I still remember, and I wasn't trying to be mean to him or anything else. I mean, who, who would have wanted to do that? I still remember we just had a missions conference and he was excited. I got a hold of him about reaching people and that never went away from him. <laughs> and uh, he came up to me after service. And he said, Preacher, I'm tired of being a pew warmer. Those were his words. I'm tired of being a pew warmer. I wasn't trying to mean me or anything else. I looked at him and I said, so what are you going to do about it? And it kind of caught him off guard. He says, what do you mean? I said, talk's cheap. What's that mean? What are you going to do? He goes, well, I guess I'll go out soul winning. I said, all right. This Thursday we'll go out soul winning. That's when I ran the chains on my leg. We still went out. Man, was he excited. I was excited until the shock wore off my body. got excited about it. It had to translate to doing something about it. It had to translate to going somewhere and doing something about it. You've learned truth. You've learned truth. You're taught the Bible. What do we do with it? What do we do with it? Um, you know, if we're self-satisfied, say I'm rich and increasing goods, have need of nothing, if we're satisfied with where we are, what we have and all that, then God is not satisfied with us and what's going on. We can be content in the Lord and not be satisfied with just how we're operating. Those two things are not against each other. We can be content in the Lord during the growth process. And so proper responding. Actually do something with what we have. That's biblical, isn't it? Let's look in verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted. I love that. According to the man, what that a man hath, not according to that he hath not, and we need a proper confidence. We need a proper looking, looking unto Jesus as our example because of that, knowing we're debtors and knowing and be, not being ashamed. We need a proper account and we need to actually, it's good we do this once a year. It's good we have the confidence and we can stop and say, okay, Lord, where am I? Where am I compared to last year? Have I made progress? Not am I like someone else? Not am I doing what someone else is doing? But Lord, am I just going forward and being willing to go forward? And what's that mean? There's a proper responding. What do I have? What do I have that I can use for the Lord? What do I have that I can use for God? And then there's a proper confidence. God only expects me to use what I have at this time. Follow this thought. Let's look at the verse again. I'll show you. It's not a philosophical thought. It's, it's, it's rooted in this verse. It came from this verse. If there be first, first, right? A willing mind. Has the willing mind done anything yet except will? There's no action yet, right? If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted in what regard? According to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. Let me, let me put this to you this way. 
God only expects me to use what I have at this time. I don't believe for a minute. Uh, forgive me on this if you need to. At 58 years old, and as long as I've been in the ministry, I don't consider myself to have reached a plateau. I see myself at a point of newness and growth right now, probably equaling any time in my life in my ministry. There's a sense and a presence of God wanting to do something. I hope many of you decide to go along for it. By His grace, I'm going to follow Him. I'd like to take a bunch of you with me. Let's go forward for the Lord. And so what, what is this? God only expects me to use what I have at this time. That's it. At this time, that's all I have. Therefore, hold on, since God does expect me to do something, therefore I have enough at this time to do something for God. God does not expect me, Trey, to do something with what I don't have. So that means what I have right now, I have what I need to do what I need to do right now. There's a confidence in that. I can do today what I should do for the Lord. You mentioned, Wayne, uh, glad we can be free from sin. Right? My response to that was at any given time we can have victory in the Lord. I have today what I need to serve God. That's not the issue of saying, well, if I just say, no, no, I have what I need today. Invariably, when people say, well, I just don't have, I don't know, they're always pulling out from the future what they think is going to happen, looking at what they surmise is going to come and saying, I don't know if I'll be able to stand. I don't know if I can take another day. I don't know all this stuff. You don't have to. You don't have another day. You have today. I have what I need today. I need to hear this message tonight. I'm glad I came to church early. <laughs> I need to preach it. God only expects me to use what I have at this time. Therefore, I have enough at this time to do something for God. The servants in Matthew chapter 25 only had to give answer for the talents entrusted to them. They did not ever have to give answer for the talents entrusted to somebody else. At no time was the man who was given one talent going to be called on to give answer for the five talents that were given to the other man. And at no time was the man who was given five talents going to give answer for the cumulative three talents between the other two, the one who received two and the one who received one. The two talent, likewise, did not give account for the five talent who had more given to him, nor did he give account for the one that had less given to him. The only thing he had was what his master put in his hand and all the master said was, use what I put in your hand the way I would use it. You're my servant. Use my goods the way I would use my goods. That's the order. It comes down to that stark simplicity. So what's the right approach to missions? It's a proper looking. That's always the case in all phases of Christianity. Looking unto Jesus. It's a proper accounting, being real. I mean being real with God. Where am I? In my walk. 
Not how do I feel about things, not how's my mood, not how are my emotions going, but am I spending, is this book something I'm putting inside me? Am I abiding in His Word and His Word abiding in me? Am I seeking in the area in which I live and the interactions I have, am I seeking to make Him known? Say that's your job as a preacher. It is not. Absolutely it is not. Isn't that why the church hired you? And hired me. I'm not hired. The church supports me in the God-given ministry that God's given me to pastor this church and lead us and to teach you and to reach this area and reach the world. It's not my job as a preacher. My biblical duty as a preacher is to feed you all. Love you all. And not fleece you all. <laughs> My job description as a Christian man is to be with If something befell me where I could not keep up with the pace of pastoring, my voice failed me where I could not speak, my, my strength, if, I, if that uh, accident I'd had, uh, had, if I'd not recovered back to uh, operational condition from that, if I'd been like I was right after that accident I had when I was going to multiple physical therapy and couple, three times a week and all that sort of stuff. Ms. Shelton's all me in the office with that. Sitting there, couldn't, couldn't get anything done. I couldn't have kept pastoring. I would have had to resign it. But you know what? If that had happened, I'm glad it didn't. I hope you're glad to. Don't tell me. But if that had happened, I would have no less duty as a Christian man to make my Savior known. That's not the that's not position of pastor. That's my privilege as his son. It's natural for a boy to want to brag about how great his father is. <laughs> my heavenly father, and I'm using a phrase that shows up in the Bible in a little different form, my heavenly daddy, my Abba father. I just get to tell people how good he is. Talk about it. God help us to have a proper approach to missions. When we do, God gets behind that thing and makes it happen. We don't have to force it. We don't have to connive it. It just goes forward for God. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your people. The words of your book. May we live what we profess to believe. God, help us. Our weakness is evident to us. Mine is. I assume other people's here is. We need you. And I pray that you'll be honored. Lord, may we be a people who approach things the way you want it approached. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand together, please. Are you going to commit yourself to actually taking an evaluation of where you are? Are you going to commit yourself to looking under Christ? And when your vision starts to go somewhere else, as it will do at times, refocus that. Let's be serious about this. Let's see what God will do. Let's see what God will do. A song invitation, join these who are already here if you want to come tonight.